Chapter 14 of At the Time Appointed. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Lars Rolander. At the Time Appointed by A. Maynard Barbour. Chapter 14 Drifting. Early the following week, Darrell was established in his new office. The building containing the offices of the firm of Underwood and Walcott had, as Mr. Underwood informed Darrell, been formerly occupied by one of the leading banks of Ophir, and was situated on the corner of two of its principal streets. Of the three at handsome private offices in the rear, Mr. Underwood occupied the one immediately adjoining the general offices. The next, separated from the first by a narrow entranceway, had been appropriated by Mr. Walcott, while the third, communicating with the second, and opening directly upon the street, was now fitted up for Darrell's occupancy. The carpets and much of the original furnishing of the room still remained, but in the preparation of Darrell's room, Kate Underwood and her aunt made numerous trips in their carriage between the offices and the pines, with the result that when Darrell took possession many changes had been effected. Heavy curtains separated the portion of the room in which the laboratory work was to be done from that to be used as a study, and to the latter there had been added a rug or two, a bookcase in which Darrell could arrange his small library of scientific works, a cabinet of mineralogical specimens, and a pair of paintings intended to conceal some of time's ravages on the once finely decorated walls, while palms and blooming plants transformed the large plate glass windows into bowers of fragrance and beauty, at the same time forming a screen from the two inquisitive eyes of passers-by. Just as Darrell was completing the arrangement of his effects, Mr. Underwood and his partner sauntered into the room from their apartments. Within a few feet of the door, Mr. Underwood came to a stop, his hands deep in his trousers' pockets, his square chin thrust aggressively forward, while, with a face unreadable as granite, his keen eyes scanned every detail in the room. Mr. Walcott, on the contrary, made the entire circuit of the room, his hands carelessly clasped behind him, his head thrown well back, his every step characterized by a graceful, undulatory motion, like the movements of the feline tribe. Hmm, was Mr. Underwood's sole comment when he had finished his survey of the room. Mr. Walcott turned towards his partner with a smile. "'Mr. Durell is evidently prime favourite with the ladies,' he remarked pleasantly. "'Well, they don't want to try any of their prime favourite business on me,' retorted Mr. Underwood, as he slowly turned and left the room. Both young men laughed, and Walcott, with an easy, nonchalant air, seated himself near Durell. "'I find the old gentleman has a keen sense of humour," he said, still smiling. "'But some of his jokes are inclined to be a little ponderous at times. "'His humour generally lies along the lines of sarcasm,' Darrell replied. "'Ah, something of a cynic, is he?' "'No,' said Darrell. "'He has too kind a heart to be cynical, "'but he is very fond of concealing it by sarcasm and brusqueness.' 
He is quite original and unique in his way. I find him really a much more agreeable man than I anticipated. You have very pleasant quarters here, Mr. Darrell. I should judge you intended this as a sort of study as well as an office. I do intend it so. Probably for a while I shall do more studying than anything else, as it may be some time before I get any assaying. I think we can probably throw quite a bit of work your way, as we frequently have inquiries from some of our clients wanting something in that line. Walcott, said Mr. Underwood, re-entering suddenly, Chapman is out there. Go and meet him. You can conduct negotiations with him on the terms we agreed upon. But I don't care to figure in the deal. If he asks for me, tell him I'm out. I see, as the ladies say, you're not at home, said Walcott, smiling as he sprang quickly to his feet. Well, Mr. Darrell, he continued, I consider myself fortunate in having you for so near a neighbor, and I trust that we shall prove good friends and our relations mutually agreeable. Darrell's dark, penetrating eyes looked squarely into the half-closed smiling ones, which met his glance for an instant, then wavered and dropped. "'I know of no reason why we should not be friends,' he replied quietly, knowing he could say that much with all candor, yet feeling that friendship between them was an utter impossibility, and that of this Walcott was as conscious as was he himself. "'Well, my boy,' said Mr. Underwood, seating himself before Darrell's desk, "'I guess it was a good thing you took the old man's advice for once.' I don't know where you would find better quarters than these. Darrell smiled. As to following your advice, Mr. Underwood, you didn't even give me a chance. You suggested my taking one of these rooms, and then gave orders on your own responsibility for my paraphernalia to be deposited here, and there was nothing left for me to do but to settle down. However, he added, laying some money on the desk before Mr. Underwood, I have no complaint to make. Just kindly receipt for that. Receipt for this? What do you mean? What is it, anyway? exclaimed Mr. Underwood in a bewildered tone. It is the month's rent in advance, according to your custom. Rent? Mr. Underwood ejaculated, now thoroughly angry. What do I want of rent from you? Can't you let me be a friend to you? time and time again i've tried to help you and you wouldn't have it now i'll give you a warning young man that one of these days you'll go a little too far in this thing and then you'll have to look somewhere else for friends for when i'm done with a man i'm done with him forever mr underwood said darrell with dignity you are yourself going too far at this moment you know i do not refuse favors from you personally do I not consider your home mine? Have I ever offered you compensation for anything that you or your sister have done for me? But this is a different affair altogether. Different, I'd like to know wherein. Mr. Underwood, if in addition to your kindness you personally offered me the use of this room gratis, I might accept it. But I will accept no favors from the firm of Underwood and Walcott. Hum. I don't see what difference that needs make, Mr. Underwood retorted. 
he sat silently studying darrell for a few moments but the latter's face was as unreadable as his own what have you got against that fellow he asked at length curiously i have nothing whatever against him mr underwood but you're not friendly to him darrell remained silent he is friendly to you continued mr underwood he has talked with me considerably about you and takes quite an interest in you and in your success possibly darrell answered dryly but you will oblige me by not talking of me to him i have nothing against mr walcott i am neither friendly nor unfriendly to him but he is a man to whom i do not wish to be under any obligations whatsoever in vain mr underwood argued darrell remained obdurate and when he left the office a little later he carried with him the receipt of underwood and walcott for office rent darrell's reputation as an expert which he had already established at the mining camp soon reached offer with the result that he was not long without work in the new office for a time he devoted his leisure hours to unremitting study the brief but intense summer season of the high altitudes was now well advanced however and in its stifling heat amid the noise of the busy little city and constantly subjected to interruptions his scientific studies and researches lost half their charm and in proportion as they lost their power to interest him the home of the mountainside beyond reach of the city's heat and dust and clamour drew him with increasing and irresistible force never before had it seemed to him so attractive so beautiful so homelike as now he did not stop to ask himself wherein its new charm consisted or to analyze the sense of relief and gladness with which he turned his face homeward when the day's work was ended he only felt vaguely that the silent undemonstrative love which the old place had so long held for him had suddenly found expression it smiled to him from the flowers nodding gaily to him as he passed it echoed in the tinkling music of the fountains the murmuring pines whispered it to him as their fragrant breath fanned his cheek but more than all he read it in the brown eyes which grew luminous with welcome at his approach and heard it in the low sweet voice whose wonderful modulations were themselves more eloquent than words and with this interpretation of the strange new joy day by day permeating his whole life he went his way in deep content and to kate underwood this summer seemed the brightest and the fairest of all the summers of her young life why she could not have told except that the skies were bluer the sunlight more golden and the birds sang more joyously than ever before in a mining town like ophir there was comparatively little society for her so that most of her evenings were spent at home and she and darrell were of necessity thrown much together sometimes he joined her in a game of tennis a ride or drive or a short mountain ramble sometimes he sat on the veranda with the elder couple listening while she played and sang but more often their voices blended 
while the wild plaintive notes of the violin rose and fell on the evening air accompanied by the piano or by the guitar or mandolin together they watched the sunsets or walked up and down the mountain terrace in the moonlight enjoying to the full the beauty around them neither as yet dreaming that more than their joy in the bloom and beauty and fragrance in the music of the fountains or the murmuring voices of the pines in the sunset's glory or the moonlight's mystical radiance above all deeper than all pervading all was their joy in each other hers was a nature essentially childlike his very infirmity rendered him in experience less than a child and so devoid of worldly wisdom like earth's first pair of lovers without knowledge of good or evil all unconsciously they entered their eden one sultry sunday afternoon they sat within the vine-clad veranda the strains of the violin and guitar blending on the languorous perfumed air as the last notes died away kate exclaimed i never had any one accompany me who played with so much expression you give me an altogether different conception of a piece of music you seem to make it full of new meaning and why not darrell inquired music is a language of itself capable of infinitely more expression than our spoken language who is speaking then when you play as you did just now the soul of the musician or your own the musicians i am only the interpreter the more perfect the harmony or sympathy between his soul as expressed in the music and mine the truer will be the rendering i give a fine elocutionist will reveal the beauties of a classic poem to hundreds who of themselves might never have understood it but the poem is not his he is only the poet's interpreter if you call that piece of music which you have just rendered only an interpretation kate answered in a low tone i only wish that i could for once hear your own soul speaking through the violin darrell smiled do you really wish it he asked after a pause looking into the wistful brown eyes i do she was seated in a low hammock swinging gently to and fro he sat at a little distance from her feet on the topmost of the broad stairs his back against one of the large vine-wreathed columns duke stretched full length beside him a slight breeze stirred the flower-scented air and set the pines whispering for a moment then all was silent with eyes half closed darrell raised the violin and drawing the bow softly across the strings began one of his own improvisos the exquisite piercing sweetness of the first notes swelling with an indescribable pathos until kate could scarcely restrain a cry of pain higher and higher they soared until above the clouds they poised lightly for an instant then descended in a flood of liquid harmonies which alternately rose and fell sometimes tremulous with hope sometimes moaning in low undertones of grief never despairing but always with the same heart-rending pathos always voicing the same unutterable longing 
unmindful of his surroundings his whole soul absorbed in the music darrell played on till as the strains sank to a minor undertone he heard a stifled sob followed by a low whine from duke he glanced towards kate and the music ceased instantly unobserved by him she had left the hammock and was seated opposite himself listening as though entranced her lips quivering her eyes shining with unshed tears while duke alarmed by what he considered signs of evident distress looked anxiously from her to darrell as though entreating his help why my dear child what is the matter darrell exclaimed moving quickly to her side oh she cried piteously how could you stop so suddenly it was like snapping a beautiful golden thread and burying her face in her hands her whole frame shook with sobs darrell somewhat alarmed himself laid his hand on her shoulder in an attempt to soothe her in a moment she raised her head the teardrops still glistening on her cheeks and her long golden lashes it was childish in me to give way like that she said with a smile that reminded darrell of the sun shining through a summer shower but oh that music it was the saddest and the sweetest i ever heard it was breaking my heart and yet i could have listened to it forever it was my fault said darrell regretfully i should not have played so long but i always forget myself when playing that way kate's face grew suddenly grave and serious mr darrell she said hesitatingly i have thought very often about the sad side of your life since your illness you know but i never realized till now the terrible loneliness of it all she paused as though uncertain how to proceed darrell's face had in turn become grave did um, the violin tell you that he asked gently she nodded silently yes it has been lonely inexpressibly so he said unconsciously using the past tense but i had no right to cause you this suffering by inflicting my loneliness upon you do not say that she replied quickly i am glad that you told me in the way you did glad not only that i understand you better and can better sympathize with you but also because i believe you can understand me as no one else has for one reason why the music affected me so much was that it seemed the expression of my own feelings of my hunger for sympathy all these years have there been shadows in your life then too it looked to be all sunshine darrell said his face growing tender as he saw the teardrops falling yes it would seem so with this beautiful home and all that papa does for me and sometimes i'm afraid i'm ungrateful but oh mr darrell if you could have known my mother you would understand she was so different from papa and auntie and she loved me so and it seems as though since she died i've had nobody to love me i suppose papa does in a fashion but he's too busy to show it or else he doesn't know how 
and aunt marcia well you know she's good as she can but if she loved you you would never know it i wondered sometimes if poor mamma didn't die just for want of love it has seemed lots of times as though i would poor little girl said darrell pityingly he understood now the wistful appealing look of the brown eyes he intended to say something expressive of sympathy but the right words would not come he could think of nothing that did not sound stilted and formal almost unconsciously he laid his hand with a tender caress on the slender little white hand lying near him much as he would have laid it on a wounded bird and just as unconsciously the little hand nestled contentedly like a bird within his clasp a few days later darrell heard from walcott the story of harry whitcomb's love for his cousin it had been reported walcott said in low tones as though imparting a secret that young whitcomb was hopelessly in love with miss underwood but that she seemed rather indifferent to his attentions it was thought however that the old gentleman had favored the match as he had given his nephew an interest in his mining business and had the latter lived and proved himself a good financier it was believed that mr underwood would in time have bestowed his daughter upon him darrell listened silently of young whitcomb of his death and of his own part in that sad affair he had often heard but no mention of anything of this nature he sat lost in thought of course you know how sadly the romance ended walcott continued wondering somewhat at darrell's silence i have understood that you were a witness of young whitcomb's tragic death i know from hearsay that is all darrell replied quietly i have heard the story a number of times walcott expressed great surprise pardon me mr darrell for referring to the matter i had heard something regarding the peculiar nature of your malady but i had no idea it was so marked as that is it possible that you have no recollection of that affair none whatever darrell answered briefly as though he did not care to discuss the matter how strange one would naturally have supposed that anything so terrible so shocking to the sensibilities would have left an impression on your mind never to have been effaced but i fear the subject is unpleasant to you mr darrell pardon me for having alluded to it the conversation turned but darrell could not banish the subject from his thoughts kate had often spoken to him of her cousin but never as a lover he recalled his portrait at the pines the frank boyish face with its winning smile a bonny lover surely had she or had she not he wondered learned to reciprocate his love before the tragic ending came and if not did she now regret it he watched her that evening fearing to broach a subject so delicate but pondering long and deeply till at last she rallied him on his unusual seriousness and he told her what he had heard yes she said in reply harry loved me or thought he did though he was like the others he did not understand me any better than they but he had always been just like a brother to me 
and I could never have loved him in any other way, and I told him so. Papa said I would learn in time, and I think perhaps he would have insisted upon it if Harry had lived. I was sorry I couldn't care for him as he wished. He thought I would after a while, but I never could, for I think that kind of love is far different from all others. Don't you, Mr. Darrell? And Darrell, looking from the mountainside where they were standing out into the deep blue spaces where the stars, one by one, were gliding into sight, answered reverently, As far above all others as the heaven is high above the earth. To him at that instant love, the love that should exist between two who, out of earth's millions, have chosen each the other, seemed something as yet remote, a sacred temple whose golden dome, like some mystic shrine, gleamed from afar, but into which he might some day enter, unaware that he already stood within its outer court. End of chapter 14 Read by Lars Rolander